Now, we all know that Martin can metabolise a pint in five minutes, but I bet even he wouldn't turn his nose up at getting free beer delivered to his door. Yes, our friends at Beer 52 are offering our listeners a free case of eight unique craft beers. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF and cover the postage of $5.95. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club. Even Big Mandy is welcome, but not Colin. He's an utter bozo. Each month, members are sent a crate of beer with different themes. Don't like dark beer? Then choose the light option. Comes with a magazine and two snacks, BLT and crumpets not included. Don't be a cockwomble. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF to get this amazing offer. That's www.beer52.com forward slash WTAF. This is Charlie, and you're listening to What the Actual Fuck. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck. Hey, what the actual fuckers, and welcome to another episode of WTF of This Country Podcast. Now, I'm here with the man... He's never had sex with a fox, so he says. But he f- he fights. It's always gypsy rules. It's Neil. <laughs> Hello, Pav. Hello. Um, no, I've never had sex with a fox. Not to my knowledge, anyway. That we know of. That w- Well, that I know of. I've only known you for a few years. Well, yeah. You did get a deer park. <laughs> hey, 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 I'm just hey. saying. I'm just saying. That's where the talent comes from. It is. Remember. So I've read on the toilet wars. Anyway. We've been lucky enough to chat with pretty much all of the people in front of the camera of this country, but this episode we're very happy to chat to a couple of the guys, the guys, that's behind the camera. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome director Tom George and producer Simon Mayhew Archer. Hello. 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 Finally. Finally in the shed. <laughs> we never thought this would happen. No, it's an honour, isn't it? It is an honour. I feel like, We've interviewed quite a lot of people and I feel a little bit nervous. I don't know why. Stop it. That is oh. ridiculous. You've, you've lost your head. <laughs> yeah, that I is. think I'm nervous because I feel that at some point Simon's just going to go mad and wreck all the Star Wars stuff in it <laughs> because that's you, what he said he was going to do. You, I need know. To, you need to give the context to that. We were at the preview showing, very kindly uh, um, allowed to go to the preview showing, and this is the first time we met these two wonderful gentlemen. And Simon said something to us that we never thought would ever be heard, that you didn't like Star Wars. Well, no, actually, to be what fair, happened was yeah. you said you were talking about Star Wars, yeah. and I was politely yeah. nodding along, <laughs> and then Tom goes... Simon doesn't like Star Wars. <laughs> he hates it, yeah. So, to be fair, you didn't actually divulge that information you were dobbed in by I got thrown under the bus. You did. Hate's a strong word. Do you actually hate it? No, I'm just utterly indifferent about it. OK. Just don't damage anything. <laughs> <laughs> I did say I was going to try and find Jar Jar that you could just smack the shit out of, but oh, I can't... Jar Jar! I think I've already done it. I don't... I... Uh, anyway, we'll find some episode one stuff that you can... Uh, you can. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Star Wars, we're here to talk about this country. Let's start from the very, very start. Uh, Tom, how did you get involved uh, with this country at the very start? How did I get involved? Um, well, you should really start with Simon, because he, he got me involved, really. OK, Simon. So, uh, yeah, that's a short answer. Yeah. Thanks, Tom. 
Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, well, to cut a long story short, thank you. Um, I got asked by Shane Allen, who's the commissioner at BBC, would I be interested in meeting uh, this girl Daisy and her brother? And I said, yeah, absolutely. So I came down to Sirencester and we met up and we immediately hit it off and we started, you know, working up the idea that ultimately became this country. But very early on, um, I wanted to get a director involved. And so I was planning to meet a few different directors. Mm. As it happens, the first person I met was Tom. We just instantly hit it off. And I think crucially what... um, what we agreed on, like, very early stages, is that... Daisy, sorry, I'm, did I say I was going to cut this short? <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's the this is the short. This is the short I've version. got about 100 gig uh, space on my computer, so you're <laughs> okay, fine. You, you can always on. edit it down. Basically, they'd, Daisy and Charlie had made this pilot, which t- Charlie was just writing when he wasn't on camera, um, for ITV, which uh, they had not had a good experience on, and having seen it, I can understand why. Right. And... So the big thing, when we got together and started, you know, working up ideas, was this: these characters are funny when you give them the context of reality. Mm. And the simplest, easiest, most gettable way of giving them that context is to make it as a documentary. But the additional thing was, I'm not a big fan of mockumentaries. Oh, right. Because... I find that they don't often stick to the rules. And so there's a lot of things that happen in a sort of quote mockumentary that wouldn't happen in a documentary. And it ruins the the reality of it, it ruins the truth. Mm. So that was kind of my base context for coming at it. I met Tom and he was like, he instantly got that and then brought a whole new level of understanding because he'd worked in documentaries. And so from that point on, it really became a four and we just worked all and we you know we have a shared sense of humor and we worked it up from there and i'm going to stop talking and talk, talk a little bit yeah. so tom how did it how how do you write something in a in a documentary style then um that's a good question i suppose um like Simon says the start point was was figuring out what how to make it feel like an authentic documentary and realising that there's funny stuff to be had in that. But but I think a lot of sort of um, mockumentaries fall into the habit of using it for a quick laugh, for a sort of easy mm. laugh, you might say. Mm. So the um, the classic would be in a talking head, someone says uh, how against a certain thing they are, how much they hate a certain thing. And then in the next scene, hilariously, they're doing that thing or they're proven to be hypocrites, right? So that's like... So we were we were sort of keen to um stick to the rules a bit more of of a documentary and not use that sort of cheap format to get a quick laugh and that's, instead to use it as a way of um getting to the kind of reality of the characters that's think. the thing it's about the characters and it's about the stories it's not a comedy about documentaries mm. Mm. the joke is not oh look we're doing a pastiche of a documentary mm. and that's really you know Every now and then you sort of find yourself doing something that slightly plays with the format. But actually, we want, we really want, you know, we really wanted it to be presented as this very quite sort of po-faced, pretentious BBC documentary. Mm. You're looking at this massive subject of 
like the, the young life in rural communities. Mm. And within that, then there is a joke that you're purporting to look at this huge subject and actually you're focusing in on these absolute fuckwits. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so there's, when I was re-watching the series, which I think everybody that's probably listened to this has done over and over again, I think I can remember there's only one time when we actually hear the person behind the camera asking a question. Hmm. Was yeah. that ever a, a, a point where you thought you'd do that more often in the show? or? Um, there are probably a couple of times across the two series, maybe two or three, where you kind of get a sense that there's someone behind the camera. Um, were we ever going to include more of that interaction? Not really. I think, like, there's a thing with the characters which we always felt like um, Kerry and Curtin were the type of characters you see in documentaries who quite quickly habituate to the fact that there's a camera around, mm. um, which was part of what made it feel like a good decision to uh, use a, to approach it in a mockumentary style because we didn't, we didn't want to be constantly referring to the crew. And I think they sort of, they're so absorbed in their own world that, that they forget that there's a crew around a lot yeah. of time. And you do see that in, the, in a lot of documentaries. It's well, that's amazing. The key of like, things like Geordie Shaw mm. and stuff like that. Totally. They're playing to the they camera. sort of forget that, yeah. There's, yeah. that there's, a camera, there's a camera around. We were talking about this today, actually. I think it, in lots of ways, it's the vicar is the only character in the sort of, arguably in the whole piece, who, who maybe understands a little bit more that this is being filmed, these events are being filmed. And I think he has, particularly in the second series, quite, you know, subtle but little moments where he is aware that the crew are filming. And, and actually, um, they he often, he sort of finds a little bond, I think, sometimes with the crew, which is mm. nice to see. Sometimes mm. I think he, he feels like... The, he, the crew are the only island for him yeah. in, a, in a sea of madness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and exactly it's that. like that shared... And that's why we like... Because the, the scene at the end of... Um, A and E or minor injuries. Mm. That was a that was something we shot after we'd shot the main, after we'd done the main body of shooting. Right. We always go back and do two days of pickups where we get extra talking heads and fill in any other bits that we think we need. Mm. And so that scene at with Curtin in the changing room at TK Maxx was an afterthought that we felt like we needed to tie off that episode. Mm. And it was just a lovely moment when after Curtin's had his sort of flip out at the vicar that you just get that moment where the vicar, you know, looks at camera and just stifles a little laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And actually, there were on a couple of takes, he was a little bit more audible in his laugh. And then Curtin from the changing room was like, are you laughing? <laughs> and like, like flips out again. But actually, we, you know, in the end, in the edit, we were like, that's the... That's, a, that's such a enough. sweet moment. Yeah. So with the documentary style, then, obviously we have um, facts that come up on the screen and, and information. Are, they, are those genuine? or? Yeah. Yeah. They're all... We try and... Yeah, they're all genuine. They're all genuine facts. We yeah. actually sort of... Yeah, yeah, we never make something up. We, we just bend it to our context. That's probably right. right. Okay. Yeah. Interestingly, and there's a sort of... <laughs> there is a joke in it in and of itself here. A lot of those facts come from a body called the Thing for Raw. Oh like, yeah, that's now being. Um, it's basically uh, what is it? What is it? Called? I, I it's it's like it's, it's a rural. It's the sort of centre for rural study, but it's not that. It's it's and it was set up under a Labour government, I think, and and it's since it, been discontinued. In well, that was the thing. It was precisely set up <laughs> to articulate all these po problems with like right. pockets of poverty and deprivation. 
Yeah. And sort of. like basically saying the countryside can often be forgotten about and it needs to be paid more attention to, given more funding. Yeah. And that whole body itself has been defunded and got rid of. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so there's a question for both of you now. As, as a director and as a producer, what are your actual responsibilities and, and roles? Because I, I'm coming from like a movie fan background, you sort of know yeah. what a director does. I've never understood what a producer does, but what are your roles and what are your responsibilities? Um, well, I, I suppose it's a good question because we slightly in our own minds, blur those right. traditional lines between us as a, as a pair and also to some extent as a four, the four of us with Daisy and Charlie. Um, traditionally, in TV, the producer's job is to um, be involved in the script, I'd say, from very early on, be one of the pretty much the first person working hands-on with the talent, whether that be a writer or a writer-performer in right. Daisy and Charlie's case. And to sort of hone that idea kind of for as long as it takes, that might involve coming on and development before it's even been commissioned and then actually getting the thing commissioned. Or in Simon's case where Shane had sort of said, right, I want to do this thing with you, Daisy and Charlie. Um, you know, let's see how you and Simon get on and whether you can work together. Um, yeah, he didn't. Shane had invested in that, in particularly in Daisy, as a piece of talent. Right. Yeah. But then what show that was going to be was up for grabs was completely it was like a totally blank slate beyond right. the fact that there was the character Kerry yeah and it was going to be in the Cotswolds and even then the first you know I can I'll be indiscreet the first line producer I got put with was like well you'll never be able to afford to do it all on location in the Cotswolds you're going to have to shoot you can shoot some of the like exterior locations stuff. and in- exteriors yeah. there but you'll have to find somewhere within the M25 that looks like the Cotswolds. Oh, right. And it's like, yeah, I think we're going to need... to find a different way of doing that. Yeah. And then, again, traditionally in TV, the director will come on much, much later in the process. Um, usually sort of five weeks, six weeks, maybe before the filming's due to start. Um, at which point the scripts are very far down the line, maybe at like fourth draft. You know, typically fifth draft is where you... is the shoot is the shooting draft. Um so usually by the time a director comes on, the writing's pretty much done. You maybe get to do a sort of reader draft and suggest a few minor tweaks, but mm. sort of everything's set in stone by then in terms of character and, and most of the plot. So it's really little more than a kind of dialogue rinse. Um, and really, it's, as the director, then it's your job to come on and decide how you're going to shoot it, really, to collaborate with the other heads of department. So that would be everyone from the camera department to the costume department, sound, um, um, hair and makeup and so on and um and to bring that team of people together i suppose that's in collaboration with the with the producer the your your principal thing is how you're actually going to film this thing right so you where you know what's the style of it going to be um how are you going to go about filming it where you, and then obviously technical stuff like what cameras are you going to use and where are you going to put the cameras all mm. that sort of stuff. so is, is that a key thing for this country that the four of you seem to be quite a tight unit then quite that you collaborate really well together definitely well what's unusual about this is that i was on thanks to simon way 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 earlier i was i started working with with um the three of them nearly a year before we started shooting oh right now obviously that wasn't didn't mean i was on full time for a year beforehand Mm. um but it meant i had a sort of you know a kind of few days here and there kind of a you know handful of days a month where we'd come in and initially we'd work on 
sort of overall idea and then story and then increasingly it was working on story ideas and um and plotting each episode individually and also looking starting to look at how they sort of sit together sweet so for me that was that was amazing because like i say directors usually on so late in the process you don't get to be involved in that um kind of inception of a pro of a, of a program unless you're a sort of writer director right who's sort of who's brought the thing to life mm. who's sort of written the thing mm. um and the added bonus i think as a team was that it gave us a year to sort of really get to know each other but also realize and and hone this kind of shared um shared approach shared sort of vision for what it was we were doing so by the time we came to shoot it um shoot that first series we all kind of had a very clear idea of what it was we were doing that we'd all sort of agreed on through a sort of process of of um of, of working through how we were going to do it mm. and that meant you know that that sort of was kind of the key i think to to a lot of the success of of um executing it because it meant just things like you know for, for starters we were all trying to do the same thing and sort of saw the end goal the same but also things like communication and that we had such good shorthands on set when things weren't quite right mm. whether that be with me giving a note to daisy or me and simon communicating that it really felt like a sort of hive hive mind i would mm. say nice so and the- in movies <laughs> i can tell you some produce like you get creative producers but then you'll see loads more names of producers they're just people who've put money in Right, okay. Is that where, like, the executive producer comes from? Yeah, that and kind it's of thing? Quite, like, the, the American system is quite complicated because some executive producers will be the writer. It's, yeah, myriad. So, it, yeah, producer is, there's a many different, many different producers right. out there. So I was going to talk about the location. Now, obviously, the original pilot of Kerry was filmed in Sirencester itself, mm. and then it's moved to North Leach. Were you tempted to film it to begin with in Sirencester? Never. You, never? Because it's too, too... I'm, I'm that was from, a big I'm thing a, that Simon pushed for mm. actually in in the first instance. I'm from a place called Abingdon, yeah, which is you know not a million miles from here, and it it's not as nice as Sirencester, but it's equivalently sort of a a bit posh, a bit boring, but ultimately it's fine. Right, mm. it's really not that bad living in Sirencester. You get all the funny characters. But actually, for that feeling of claustrophobia and that sense of, you know, being out in the sticks, it needed to be somewhere much smaller. Mm. Because then you believe these characters are bored and left behind. And we had a great day, actually, the four of us driving around. Sort of scouting potential villages. We, we were gonna use. Yeah. yeah, we went like all to loads of different places. And then we went to North Leach and it was it just instantly felt right. Because it's got that really Cotswoldian picturesque centre, mm. but then it's got what we call Kerryland, mm. which is the you know mm. the sort of social housing in and around the fringes of the village. Which is and exactly what we you know yeah. that's that's the side of the Cotswolds that you never see, and that's what we wanted to show. And all in the one place, and then obviously yeah. uh, you know another five minutes out, you're in woodland, and the other way you're in farmland. So yeah. we sort of had everything. So there. when you saw Kerry's mum's house for the first time, yeah, did you think? Right, that's it. Because it's weird now how that is becoming an iconic location. Yeah, it's amazing. Fact, you know, it's almost like the, the, the Tycho house. It's like, you know, yeah. a house on the top of this little ridge. Well, we went back after the first series, we went back and did the comic relief sketch. And the lady who owns the hat, well, like, you know, lets us use the house, the couple there, they are so nice. 
and they're so accommodating like you know it's it's a nightmare having a tv crew come even for us like it's a, a relatively small crew you've still got a load of people you don't know tramping up and down yeah being a pain in the ass basically mm. dragging mud in up your carpet mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and she's so she's really nice and she uh, when we were down doing the comment loop she said oh i've had people i've seen people pull up having photos taken outside the front of the house mm. and that was like we were a bit like Curtin when he found out, found out about it. it was like this is serious now this yeah. is getting serious <laughs> on the preview day we did we went and shot some for our patreon page we went and shot some on location so we was giving people like this is Kerry's mum's house and yeah. then Mandy's house and I mean it is a normal street a normal house but when we drove up because you've been around past yeah, it yeah. a lot of quite times quite a lot of you? times yeah it is that almost that is, I, I equated it to the same as the old Wembley Stadium when you used to drive into Wembley and you caught a glimpse of the Twin Towers. Yeah. And you go, <laughs> it's Wembley. We drove up to it and I thought, my God, there it is. It's the house on, on the verge. Oh my God, it's Kerry's mum's house. And yeah. on Twitter, you see loads of people and how they loved having a photograph in yeah. front of that house. And it is so weird. Well, it all ties in because that was why Simon was so sort of adamant that it had to be all done on location mm. we had to do it on the Cotswolds because we knew you, you could tell from even just talking about the idea and certainly the first sort of couple of drafts of scripts that the sense of place was such an essential part of of the series and that's why it's so lovely to see the way that's sort of taken root mm. so answer your question i think we definitely when we got to that street had a really good feeling that it was this sort of block that those houses, of course, you don't know who's going to let you film there or how yeah. that's going to pan, pan out. Um, but we, I think, if we'd hand picked one, we'd, it'll be that one. Mm, it's yeah. just great where well, it is, and, and it also overlooks the whole rest of the village when you look yeah. the other way. So there's a lovely yeah. sort of, there's a lovely, um, but it's also contrast worth, going on. It's it, worth saying at that point that we'd gone, we'd found, we'd found Northleach, and then Alex Cox, who was the location manager on the first series. And he hasn't come back because he does Endeavour and loads of like high budget things. We, you know, <laughs> he's the one that got away. Yeah. Um, and actually, little uh, Easter egg for you: he plays the peasant who um, is talking episode. to the king. Oh, the right. And then there is a shot later on of him as the peasant walking along on his mobile. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, so we'd said to him, uh, North Leach. And she lives in, you know, social housing. It's like there's this great, there's this great little sort of pocket of stuff. But actually, then he went and letter yeah. dropped and found loads of stuff. And that was one, you know, he was he on that in that situation when you go on a location rookie, you see a load of different houses. Mm. So that was one we, you know, it could have we could have conceivably made Mandy's house Kerry's where house. Kerry lived. Totally, yeah. So mm. he then gave us a bunch of options, and we we knew sort of what we needed in terms of we needed somewhere for Manny to live, we needed somewhere for Kerry to live. Um, but, yeah, I think, like I say, couldn't be happier with how that all worked out. And, and finding those locations was, like, an amazing just mm. experience. Finding that it was all in North Leach as well, because, you know, we sort of were like, oh, we think this is a place, but then, yeah, it really... Yeah. It just had those, those sort of different textures. Like, mm. it, was, it was great. Can I say one other thing? Yeah. That is, like, pure... I mean, this is... This is the... Say the thing. I can't tell you how much, particularly me and Tom, live and breathe this show. Right. It's like right. we, like, to say we overthink it and overanalyze it, and, you know, it's like we really do. 
so it's unbelievable it's just amazing to then like we were listening on the way here to the um sally hughes and dan meyer one who were like these like dan meyer's written on some of my favorite tv mm. programs mm. and it's like sally is this like unbelievably successful famous like journalist and to hear them talking about like our show with such affection and like in, in that detail it's amazing and so generally if we're pretty good. We try and be ahead of the game. We try and think of stuff. So the de- and Days and Charlie, you know, it's there's so much detail that goes into it. But there's one thing that is total chance and serendipity, and that is in the first series when they're doing knocking on the door in King of the Nerds, and they knock on the door and the guy goes bugger off. Right, the guy who does bugger off was the location assistant. He was just a, a bloke called Hamish, and he did a really good bugger off. But this was long before Angry Arthur ever existed. But now, Angry Arthur lives next door to Len. Because oh, they're no. rowing. Yeah, the of thing. Yeah. And so in my head, I'm like, that was Angry Arthur shouting bugger <laughs> off through the door. Yeah. <laughs> so I've backward engineered that. Oh, yeah. dear. But that's the thing, is because all of that, it, that world is so tight. You know, and it's like finding Florence, Florence's house, because we knew... We, the walk across when she's having the double dinners. Mm. It's like that was, you know... Mm. That was your casino shot, Yeah, the one, yeah. That's, one that's continuous your, take. That's your Scorsese shot, that is. <laughs> yeah. Just and, the... and so finding, you know, the house... It couldn't be next door. Like, we looked at all round, and it was really hard to find that sort of house that was... And ultimately, it wasn't... And Tom was, was bang on. It's like, when we looked at that location on the recce, he was like, this isn't a great room to shoot the scenes in. And that's why you can't see the TV. Right. So when they well, ideally you'd want to be able to swing all the way around. Mm. Yeah. But because of the makeup of that room, you can't. So you're sort of trapped in there with Kerry and Florence and it doesn't feel quite right. And But it was a trade off. It was a trade off. It was the perfect right. place. We knew it had to and that's the thing, you like you you when you're finding things like locations, it's like you might have the house or the place in mind that you want, but you, you know, the locations team put knock on doors and put leaflets through doors, and some places just don't get back to you, no, or don't no. open the door, or there's no one mm, there, or it's mm. somebody's totally not interested. So it's always, you know, a mixture of what your first plan is and then compromise. But it's amazing how often good things come out of those of, of those sort of mm. compromises. So was there at any point while you were filming series one that you? The, like the penny drops and you thought we've actually got something really special here and something that's going to go and yeah loads of points like that right loads of points i mean for going back to the writing it like there were definitely points during that writing process even down to like first couple of days that we worked together in a room i think the four of us where it's like oh god this just feels really good um we did a camera test day which um sort of gave us a bit of confidence it well it sort of gave us some confidence in one way knocked us in another but gave us a sort of more a clearer view so that was just literally simon myself the camera operator who's in fact the dop uh nick martin um and daisy and charlie and yeah so there were lots of little points i don't know if on those three weeks though were sort were kind of magical that first Mm. series shoot um and i think just Every day, me and Simon were by that monitor, sniggering away like little boys. <laughs> mm. And it was like, that was that was kind of it. You know, it just felt like, yeah, we've... And, and I'll I tell you what, if there was one moment, it was when um, 
the the rushes were going through to the editor Craig Harbour every day, and he messaged me about four or five days in, just going, "This is so good. I really think you know this is there's nothing like this," and that gave me confidence because you know you're on set and it's fun and exciting and you feel like it's good, but you're also questioning. Hold on, are we just having a good time? And is this like mm. have we lost? Have we all collectively lost our heads? So yeah, you just. But then again. At the same time, this is wow, bloody hell. This is like you answering a question. <laughs> this is, but I'll, just the last thing is like you. At the same time, you there's never a point where you're like, we've got this, we've aced it. No, you. It, uh, all those moments are, are balanced out with moments of like real doubt and self doubt about the thing, and that went all the way through, um, through the shoot, through editing, through the release, through the second series, all the way through it. And actually, I've come to think that it's a, it's a healthy thing to have. You want those moments where you're like, God, this is good, I feel it's good. But actually, it's also healthy to be constantly questioning and saying, but, you know, is this just me or could this be better or are we driving this forward how we should be? So, mm. yeah, it's a balance. Yeah, just to follow on from that, I would say that the at its heart, the, the hardest thing is to write genuinely piss funny dialogue yeah mm, yeah mm. yeah and they just have got that magic like the four of us will can will sit there and we will really pull a story apart and break down you know and it's all of those things you put the foundations in place so that because you can't you can never underestimate the importance of an audience an audience cares what happens next and even in a meandering sort of supposedly mundane mockumentary where nothing happens a lot happens, and it's like you need all of that underpinning. But you can put all the structure in place, and there is no better feeling than that email coming through or printing out that script and reading it, and the stuff, just yeah. the sheer invention. Mm. And then it becomes, it's like, these are the funniest scripts I've read, but there's still so much more that you can fuck up. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. so then it's like you get on day... Well, well, can I tell? I'll tell the story of the first two days of shooting. Yeah. So we did day one, and it was like we were doing it documentary style. So we had a plan. Get, yeah, and Tom, you know, Tom is super organised, super conscientious. Had it all like it's like okay, this, they, you know, we'd done the camera test. We knew what camera we were using, and there was a specific reason because it's sort of what a documentary team would use because it looks good, but it's not too expensive. We had a yeah. So anyway, after day one. Everybody from the line producer, the editor, and the DOP were like, "We're not, we're not getting enough coverage." I.e., we're not giving the edit. The editor doesn't feel that he is getting enough shots of all the constituent characters in a scene. Right. Options, yeah. And so suddenly there was this moment where Tom and I were like, "Are we gonna be the two dickheads that screwed up, and that we're gonna become like an apocryphal story where it's like?" Did you hear about that sort of those sort of young producer director team that who literally did three weeks of shooting yeah. and had nothing that they could actually cut together? You're going to be the guys who never signed the Beatles. Aren't you? That's <laughs> you're, what you're yeah. going to be. Well, no, just in, in that we literally just didn't do the basic of covering the stuff in order to edit a program together. Right, right. And so the second day, we shot it much more tradi- traditionally and conventionally where there was a little bit of swinging, but actually it was being, staying on people for sort of singles. And we went went back that night and what, or the next day or whatever it was and yeah. watched the sort of cut-together rushes. And it was horrible. Right. Because you suddenly, when you cut someone for their line, 
you're putting a hell of a lot of pressure on that line. It's like, mm. well, it better be funny. Mm. And it completely removes... That's the reality of the documentary. Totally. And so it's like, that was day two, and it was like, okay, great. We know... We were right. We, we were know what we're doing. Right. Yeah, exactly. We were on the right path. Let's get back to it. Um, so, yeah, I suppose the other thing to say about the like shooting style is how it's... Um, enabled by performance which is the other great brilliant thing obviously about Daisy and Charlie and also the cast that we've managed mm. to build around them but certainly led by those two is as well as being brilliantly funny writers especially of dialogue yeah they are just such brilliant performers that it enables us to shoot it the way we want to shoot it which is long takes and often yeah. not cutting the camera not not going right we're going to do Neil single then we're going to do Pavo single you know it because we just got we just got directed by time. <laughs> We've made it now. I even did that really annoying <laughs> thing where the directors hold up their fingers as if it's a viewfinder. <laughs> and could have got away with that. Yeah, yeah. could have got away with it. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Um, but yes, yeah, so that because really, then it's like a play, you mm. know, in lots of ways. You know, often you know, take for example in the second series, uh, the first episode of the second series, the scene towards the end where. Um, where Kerry and uh, Kerry's uh, in her kitchen with Sophie and Curtin turns up. You know, so much of that scene plays, you know, in sort of long takes. Is that even a good example? It's not actually a very good example. It's quite cut, that one. The point is you can only play those things long because the performers are able to to sort of stay in it and, and mm. keep it consistent and actually give mm. you good stuff, you know, all the way through, which sounds like it might sound like it's a sort of given that actors will just do a good performance and, when they're, and you know, they'll do the scene from beginning to end. But I can tell you that, particularly you know, in television and film, the way a lot of stuff gets made is, oh, well, that line was good on that take, and then this line was good on the third take, and I think they finally got that line on the eighth take, so great, we'll stitch those all together and we'll have the performance. Right. So, so to work with the cast we have, Daisy and Charlie, of course, but also um, Paul Chahidi, uh, Ashley Maguire, um, those are sort of our kind of leaders I would say in lots of ways mm. um, as a cast and then the brilliant sort of non-actors or untrained actors who um, we've managed to sort of build in Do around Do you get a lot well. of say about bringing them in and, and cast wise? Yeah. Yeah we were very lucky um, primarily because in its sort of in its inception it was a very low budget um, sort of production we got kind of left alone to totally left alone totally left alone to do what we wanted particularly in terms of casting and that was really refreshing because um, so often when you're casting a thing for TV, there's a pressure to cast known faces because, mm, mm. you know, it's so much of it's watched online or, or, you know, via TV listings, people find out about shows. So they want a photo of someone, you know, who they can stick on and people go, oh, great. It's that new what's his name show or what's the name show? I'm going to go and watch that. Yeah. And I suppose that the fact also that this was a mockumentary and that was we were so keen for that to be rooted in reality also enabled us, gave us that freedom because it was like the constant... We always had that argument of like, well, look, no, we, they're too well-known. So actually, it was a real joy to cast it because we were always looking for people who weren't very well-known. And mm. ideally, the less well-known, the better. Mm. Yeah. I think it's perfect and, casting. Like, I still, well, I and also, it's that thing, that's where it comes down to you separate, you look at stuff even though you're making it, mm. you remove yourself and look at it like a fan would or like a, you know, a TV comedy fan. And that's what I do. And I want to see new funny people that I haven't seen before. Yeah. I don't want to see 
your sort of seven bit part players from other sitcoms crammed together in a new sitcom. Mm. That's not my. But I think as a viewer as well, it also makes you feel like it's more of a discovery. Totally. It's a brand new show, but it's people that you've never met before. Characters you've never met before, and you sort of you're in there on the, the, the on the bottom row. And, that, and that totally feeds into the you know that fed in all the way through to the to the launch and the marketing of the first series, which is there is nothing more off putting than being told you're going to find something funny. Mm. Mm. Don't tell them, let them find it. Mm. And if like I've my friend Rupert, who's another producer, I remember us talking about. Like when you get really passionate about a show and it's pretty rare when you just fall in love with a comedy show. And we always used to say that the ultimate test is like, I want to buy a T-shirt of it. Right. Mm. And that is like, because that's such a thing with bands, but it's very rare with a comedy program where you're like, I just want to buy a T-shirt with it on. Yeah. yeah. Can we just undo my zip a minute? Because we've got, um, <laughs> we've got, we've got ours got on. They, they will all be available. Of, all of this is like, and you can't, you can't fake that. You can't no. force it. No. You have to let people come to it. And then just hope that they like it. Mm. Okay. Just, just, oh, go on. just skipping back to casting, I suppose the, the thing to the only thing I'd add is that um, it's such a collaborative process. The whole the whole thing, and, and hopefully we're given a bit of a sort of sense of that, um, which is that as much as Simon and uh, and Daisy and Charlie and I have. Um, have a pretty clear idea of what we want. It's still hard to find those things. Locations we talked about before, it's a great example. Um, and uh, Jane Ripley's our casting director on the show. And she is, she totally gets it first and foremost. And I think shares a sort of broad, oh God, I'm about to say performance aesthetic. Oh God, I said it. <laughs> um, but she shares a sort of a tonal sort of feel for performance with, with the four of us. Right. Um, but she, um, has just found us brilliant, brilliant people. Mm. And, and, you know, in the second series in particular, where we're slightly expanding the cast and you've established a world that you feel is believable, but it's quite tight because you've maybe got, you know, six or seven, eight characters maybe in play. Um, the, the, I'm so pleased with the people we managed to find to build into that because you, you suddenly feel like, well, you don't want to upset the cart by bringing in someone who just feels totally wrong for the show mm. you know, now that you've created that. So, um, yeah, she's been brilliant to work with, and 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 every department's like that. We're we're really lucky to have a great team of sort of co-collaborators working with us. You got to do something more. Can I tell one more tiny story? Yeah, fine, absolutely. Just another prime example of that level of collaboration is amazing art department, and they re- they they're just they're the best. It's like they really just prep everything, and it always looks bang on. Two things. So obviously the tattoo book is so funny. Right. And that was, we were so anal about that, like all all of us, because it was like, it had to be, capture that sort of, you know, you wanted it to be when you see the Simpsons painted on the side of a fairground ride. Yeah. And all that bad fan art and stuff Mm. like that. But the other one is that the, on the date with Curtin and Kaylee, when he opens, well, when she opens the card, she says, um, you would make me the happiest mouse. <laughs> <laughs> if you would agree, agree to be my spouse. Yeah. That was written by Dan in yeah. the art department. Oh, right. <laughs> so that was his, like, contribution. And they could the quite way. easily have decided to leave that card blank. In fact, you know, I'm sure no, no one would have blamed him for I'm... leaving that card blank. You mm. know, they'd done the outside design, made it look like a great... 
yeah. a gift, a, a sort of a, a romantic yeah, a card. card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that detail that he put in there, coupled with the sort of the spirit of, um, I'd say, sort of how much improvisation, and with an element of improv or a freedom for improvisation to mm. emerge mm. Um, in terms of performance, just meant that that ends up in the show and ends up being. And I saw someone quote that line on Twitter today. Yeah. So it's like. You know that that's always lovely when that attention to detail from the different departments you're working with um, sort of goes gets noticed. Yeah, mm. I will. Ch- we will chat a little bit before we finish about Twitter and about series two and future plans. Sure. Uh, before though, uh, we normally play a game called Kerry or Curtain, where I read a line of dialogue yeah. and you have to tell yeah. me whether it's Kerry or Curtain. Yeah. yeah tell you what, two Jimmy are... Walker embarrassed himself. Didn't he did. He? Didn't yeah. He? <laughs> yeah. That was rough to uh, listen to. <laughs> you, you haven't heard Nat yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's all um, we'll say. That's all we'll say. Uh, spoiler free. Uh, but obviously, because you guys live the show so much, I think yeah. it's wrong to do that. So we're going to do the same thing we did with. Uh, Daisy and Charlie. Oh no! So we're going to do sixty-second quiz. Okay. Oh, so who wants to See, go I'll first? I'll tell you. On the way down, we were obviously, as we said, listening to a couple of episodes on the way down, and we were feeling pretty good about the Kerry and Curtain quiz. Oh, we? Yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we said, I think it will be like one of those penalty shootouts that keeps going until like about thirteen <laughs> or fourteen, or when someone pulls over. Right. Well, this is just a sixty seconds quick uh, fire <laughs> quiz where you can uh, ask us. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Just. Off the top of your head, first answer. So we'll do Simon okay. first while Tom's okay. taking his uh, jacket off. Warming up nicely. I've got the timer ready. Okay, are you ready, Simon? Yes. Ready? Tell me when you started the clock. Steady now. Right, who should be the next James Bond? Uh, Idris Elba. Okay. Uh, would you pose nude for charity? Yeah. A- any charity? Parkinson's. Okay. <laughs> uh, pickled onion or pickled egg in a bag of crisps? I've never had a pickled egg, but I'd love to have one. Would you? Yeah. Oh, we, we haven't got any left. Oh, that's a shame. But So you'd have that in a packet of crisps, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Who would play Curtain in the US remake? Charlie Cooper. Okay. Oh, yes. All right. Uh, Victoria Sponge or Lemon Drizzle Cake? Uh, Vicky Sponge. Okay. In-ear or over-ear headphones? In-ear. Dog kissing on the mouth, yes or no? I'm a cat man. <laughs> <laughs> so cat kisses on the mouth? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anywhere you like. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever walked out of a movie? Oh. Yeah. Have I? No, don't think I no? have. No? Okay. Uh, have you ever been in a fight? No, I've been punched. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Right. right I've got, I, go. I'll, I'll save those for uh, when we finish. We'll see how Tom gets on I can't with you didn't say slugs should be bond. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, that was um, that was Charlie's answer. Yeah, slugs, right. slugs was Bond. Okay, Tom, are you ready? So, yeah. ready? Three, two, one. Right, cold baked beans. Yes or no? Or oh, no? Who is the most famous person you could text right now? Daisy Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> who is your Doctor Who? Oh, don't watch Doctor Who. Kids okay. show, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Disneyland or Legoland? I'm not a Doctor Who fan either that much. So uh, anyway, Disney, <laughs> Disneyland or Legoland? Uh, Legoland. Favourite Muppet? Oh, um... Can it? Okay. Uh, who'd play Kerry in the US remake? <laughs> Who played Kerry? 
You've only got a minute. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> okay. How many how many pairs of novelty <laughs> socks do you own? Uh, one Christmas. What was the last movie you cried watching? Um, uh, call me by your name. Okay. Uh, I'm going to finish yours and then I'll finish yours. So I've got a couple left. <coughs> uh, warm Ribena. It's got me very cold outside. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you own a handkerchief? Uh, no. Netflix or Amazon Prime? So arrogant, got both. <laughs> do you drive or do you like to be driven? I prefer to drive. Actually, no, that's bollocks. <laughs> Simon drives me everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely everywhere. Slice of lemon in your Coke? Yes, please. Uh, meatloaf would do anything, but you wouldn't do that. What was that? Uh, I was, that's so odd. I was thinking about this the other day. Cause really? Obviously it's a thing, but um, I think it's like... Um, I think it's, she says, sooner or later you'll be screwing around, right? And he says, no, I won't do that. There you go. No, I won't do so I think he's riffing on that and okay. sort of reminding her he's not going to be screwing around, he's going to stay faithful. Good answer. That's, that's the last ones of yours. Well done, Tom. Can we finish? <laughs> I'll finish yours off, uh, Simon. If you had to put one of these down your pants, which one would it be, a squid or a turtle? <laughs> Good question. Where's that for me? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a turtle's more snappy. Yeah, but a squid's going to sting you. I'd take my chances with the turtle. Okay. Did you really think you were going to get asked these kind of questions tonight? <laughs> <laughs> these I, are was, from, uh, I was sat at work and that question came to my head this afternoon. I don't know why. Question time, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Window seat You're or still working seat? at the aquarium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am. I've got them in the pond out there. We're just going to wait for your answer and then uh, we're yeah. all ready to go. <laughs> Window seat or aisle seat? Uh, aisle. Uh, can you speak a foreign language? C. <laughs> no. I didn't give you A, B, or C. Can you just... Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch. Not too bad. That's not bad. What does that mean? Spanish. <laughs> and your last, last one, BAFTA or Emmy? Uh, well, BAFTA. Yes. Yeah, have to be... I don't... That. My... Don't <laughs> take it back. You can't change my, your answers. My dad won an Emmy. An Ooh. international Emmy. Really? For Vicar of Dibley. Not an Emmy. Well, this is the thing. Oh. So an international limit. Well, anyway, it was like a big thing in the family. It was like, wow, that's amazing. They went to New York, the whole nine yards. And then literally a week later, I saw an episode of The Simpsons where they were just rinsing the Emmys. Really? I think someone won an Emmy and they literally tossed it out the window. It's a massive skip full of Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh. <laughs> so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd snap your hand off for a BAFTA. Okay. And well, it's going to happen anyway, isn't it? No, no, is it quite so? Is it a politics kind of thing? With Baptist? I don't know, we're so outside of that um bubble, we don't really know how it works. Um, but it's... you know, it's a, it is a bit of a sort of evasive cliche, but we're getting those nominations was just unbelievable, yeah, for us, and yeah. you know, for that for a first series like that as well, mm. um, yeah. It's just amazing. So just we're to, happy we're both clammed up now. Aren't we? I was say, yeah. just, <laughs> just to round up, because um, we're sort of we don't want to hold you. Uh, I, can, I, can keep, I, sure. I think I'm enjoying it more than you. <laughs> oh, no, no, yeah. no, we are. I'm really intrigued. Since we we met you at the preview show, and the one thing we kept saying is that we really wanted to be able to. Same as like with Daisy and Charlie, because they're so in demand now. Mm. It's it's very hard to be able to sit down. And when they came in, we sort of had an hour with them. Just us, and we're very mm. selfish because all we've got just it's the same with yourselves. Because we love that. I mean, we would be if, if we didn't know Daisy and Charlie like we do, and we would still be sat here trying to get you 
to mm. have an interview with you because we love the show. That's what it's all about. And that's our mission to try and get us, because we're in this bubble as well, that we go on Twitter and we go on Facebook and we see all these people that love the show. And it's it's not even a love, it's, it's a passion for the show. And what you said earlier on about it's not just about the laughs, it's about the emotion of the show. Mm. You've only got to see that on on Twitter with how people reacted to episode six mm. and um, the whole Martin Mucklow thing and, and Justice for Kerry and all of that sort of well, stuff. Well, the interesting thing about that is the audience reaction actually ultimately played a part in how the second series finished. Right. In that it was it was not written as a cliffhanger. Okay, right. So that was written and filmed as a fully complete episode six, which is resolved. I won't tell you how it was resolved. Right. Okay. So, but it was. So you shot in, the ending then, as such. Have you shot the ending, and it was only wow. in the edit that, because of the audience yeah. reaction, because people have connected with the characters, it's. It felt like. Do you know what? I we can take we this can, sort of what feels like a risky or not a risky move, but. But a slightly you know, an more unearned, adventurous. An mm. unearned cliffhanger is quite an unpleasant thing. It's mm. a bit needy. It feels really manipulative. It's basically yeah. like stick around for you know for more, basically. Or, but it, it works so well. Still, but... We don't know how to resolve your story, so yeah. we'll worry about that later. But it, it just but, felt right. Because yeah, the one thing think... about series two that that we've said a lot is that it is so much more emotional. Yeah, now, I don't know whether it's because we know the characters more. Yeah, there partly. are so many more emotional I beats. I think that's a big part of it, but then I think it's also, uh, like, as a as a team, and Tom is really good at, you know, really hammering the the pathos, really, mm. and sort of mm. capturing that. And you know, that went but right back to the rehearsal period for the for the second series. You know, working with Mer- Jimmy mentioned Miranda. You know, she was amazing. But it's all about getting to the nub and getting to the truth and the reality of it all. And ultimately, the reaction to series one and the the fact that the characters are so well rounded means that you have the confidence to delve deeper and go. Do you know what? Actually, there is there's more to be done here, and we can we mm. can push it. Yeah, I think um, also the, the the truth is that in that first series, we were really finding out what the show was, and I'm talking particularly during the writing of it, but also during the shooting and the editing. Yeah, because because unlike a lot of shows, quite a lot can change in the edit. Um, and so we were finding out what the show was, and and it's no kind of coincidence that that slightly um, more emotional, more character sort of characterful stuff had to, had kind of comes to the fore in the back end of the first series. Mm. You know, um, in episode five, and particularly episode six, GMBQ, that was the last episode we wrote. Um, so it's partly finding our own confidence to do that, and not just sort of. Um, you know, feel like we were making a comedy, so it should just be the jokes. You know, that was you know was, we were always finding that balance. Mm. But like Simon says, it was how people, how the audience, how the fans sort of reacted to that stuff, and how they went with it, and found that kind of almost more satisfying because we all have always felt. I think um, we both share the feeling that comedy, like the the jokes, punch harder when you care. Basically, mm. yeah. So yeah. So that's why we feel really strongly that like good story and funny can kind of coexist. But seeing that reaction definitely um, gave us that confidence to, you know, explore that more and, and push some of those boundaries in the, in the second series. So, mm. yeah. It's... So you, I was going to say, you sort of touched on it earlier on as well, when you see these people like Sally and Danny that are, that are, that are 
talking about the show. Mm. So how does it feel when you see these legends of British comedy like Kathy Burke and and Jennifer Saunders and that saying that they've well, I've binged wor- watched it and I've, they love I've it? I've worked with Jennifer Saunders. I've done three. She's been in three sitcom series I've done, and she's really really nice. But she never followed me on Twitter until she got into this country. Really? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it's great. I'm yeah. finally not. I, I could direct message Jennifer Saunders. Well, I mean, those, we're really talking I about <laughs> inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're really talking about like heroes of ours. You know, Kathy Burke and mm. Armando Iannucci. And, that, that, um, yeah. yeah. You know, um, he it's, he is the white he is the white whale for me. Yeah. Is that the right term? The white, yeah. Don't know. Yeah. He's, what, he, white like, he is my absolute yeah. hero. He's like just. Genius. It's it's I'm, I've always got this thing where I'm not trolling on Twitter. That's not the right. <laughs> that's not the scrolling. Right that's scrolling. your other account. Yeah, that's yeah. my <laughs> other account. <laughs> and when, whenever I see these, like I mean, like I'm a massive Kathy Burke fan. I'm a massive yeah. Jennifer Saunders fan. Amanda Iannucci, like you say, I try and catch them just as they've done a tweet because I see that they like this country. And then do you want to be on a podcast? Do you want yeah. to be on? A... And nothing does. It's, oh it's, yeah, it's, we know. Yeah. <laughs> it never it, it not... never works. It never works. <laughs> I tell you who I would. Be over the moon if you got on the podcast, Rylan. I, 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 oh, really? I, I did that with him as well. Uh, yeah, I did see. I did he is, see. He's magic. I will. I will be like. Uh, I will be like Charlie when he's fishing. I will reel him in sooner yeah. or later. Sooner Keep or later. Chucking those later. worms. Yeah. Uh, if you yeah. Ca- if you get Rylan, I'll be back in the show because I want a photo with Rylan. <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> oh, a bit of fanboy. Oh uh, dear. Before we say goodbye, we got you a couple of um, just a little. Uh, oh, a little oh bless gift, you. Little gift. Oh, page. thank you. Um, oh. So so like at the end of the these? series, we've got these cards made up that are um, for cast and crew, so like little thank you cards. And so, we, um, oh. I mean, I'm not going to lie, there was a sort of job lot in about 2000. That is no, that is really, really good. So, we just wanted to say thanks for like thank you, oh, no, everything you've done, you. like supporting the series and you know, promoting the show. It's just it's it's amazing. Oh, we also well. got two more, um, signed by Daisy and Charlie, both of them. Um, that um, maybe you can give away to our listeners. That's a oh, that great be, idea. Yeah, that would be thank a very good. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm it's quite a, like touched. I say, we, we we're really in this. We are four totally normal people who mm. like making, who like watching comedy programs, and love making this series. And to see it, like you know, catch fire, and like the people running, you know. To have a this country fan club and an Instagram page, it's amazing. It is, it is, and we're we're very chuffed that there is this little community that's growing. Mm. Like Instagram, I've got their own mm. little bit, and and Twitter, and and um, and it is growing, isn't and it? it is growing, and it's great to be known as the sort of we're the podcast hub of that mm. thing. And we've been very very lucky in the fact that we've we we know Daisy and Charlie, we know that they're the family who are all amazing and awesome, but we've got to meet people like yourselves. We've got this sort of access that no, I don't think no other podcast, no other fan-based podcast definitely can be able to talk to these uh, people that... So I'm just like getting very emotional because yeah. it's, it's weird. I, I mean, I'm the same as you. I, I, we're both the same, that we love the show. And it's yeah. not the fact that we know the people that we love the show. We love the show anyway. And the well, fact that it's made by it's people comedy. that care. That's mm. the thing. I think that's the thing. And, and, and that's absolutely true when you talk to you, the two of you today. You've got a passion for this. It's not just a job, is it? That's the thing. Yeah, care too much, if I yeah. <laughs> Well, that then leads us on that people are going to be listening to this and are going to be wanting to know the future of this country then. 
Yeah, yeah that's it. We're, we... we're done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good night, everybody. Two series Thanks and eight. Like yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, Boom. I think by now, by the time this goes to air, like people will have announced it. So you know, we can confirm that we're going to be doing a third series, which is going to happen. Um, we're going to shoot next year in 2019. Um, and but in the meantime, this year, um, towards the end of the summer, we're going to shoot uh, a special, a one-off, um, 40 minute, we think, special. Um, would it be a seasonal uh, special? It, it's, yeah, it's not. Um, it, I can't tell you too much about it um, because I don't really know that much about it. Okay. No, no, I can't tell you that much about it. But um, it's not going to be a specifically seasonal okay. special. No, it's not going to be a Christmas special. If that's what yeah, you, yeah, that's, that's what, what yeah, I was hinting yeah, at. Yeah. No, it's not going to be a Christmas special. But it's going to be a one-off um, chance to go back to the village and see where what's happened after we um, say goodbye to the characters right. in the series two, mm-hmm. um, especially on that cliffhanger. Indeed, exactly. just spoke yeah. it's like who shot Jr. All over yeah. again. Just don't do <laughs> that. Bobby, you in shower bit. That's yes, all that's it it's curtains been in the shower. For <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was weird because like we saw we saw the the last episode, and then uh, Paul came to the house to pick some things up, and the, I opened the door, and I just went, "You bastard!" <laughs> <laughs> he went, "What?" I said, "You know what? Yeah. You bastard!" When we when we did the screening in London, I was sat next to 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 Give, aka Paul Chahidi. And that moment when uh, when she goes, okay, we'll drop me off at the police station. He goes, oh, no, it's not really on my way, Kev. <laughs> Gieve just leant into my ear and he just goes, Britain's greatest villain. Yeah, it's become, hasn't it? It absolutely was. It actually was a, has. It was an absolute kick in the bollocks. That's what yeah. that was. I can remember watching it and just my heart sank. And again, you look on Twitter... Everybody felt the same, and mm. I think that's um, and that, that again is ties into the rea- like us being emboldened by the reaction is mm. that we all collectively went, Let's kick Pavo in the bollocks, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> figuratively, obviously. <laughs> well, no, they're all well, lining that, up that, now. That isn't the reason that you did this here rather than on Skype, isn't yeah. it? I'm, I haven't got to stand up and just let you both have a. I mean, you can if you want, I don't know, there's no well, little do you know, there's not just both of them. When we open the door, there's a whole queue of people. The whole, the whole crew are there. Yeah. yeah, we're selling tickets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that scene in Airplane, isn't it? They're all got there with their baseball bats. <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys. Yeah, for, thank um, you very much for coming for over. Coming in. Thanks for been, having us. It's yeah. been a real honour and a pleasure to have you here. Oh, it really it's, has. It's, been, and I'm it's not... amazing to see the shed. It's great to finally be here. I know. <laughs> you love it, yeah? Yeah, you're big Star Wars Are we fan converted you now? What is it, like aversion shock therapy? Or yeah. yeah. <laughs> if there's one bit of memorabilia you could actually take, is there anything here that you'd have? Oi! I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not giving it away, I'm just asking. Is, have we converted him enough to say, yeah, the some? iPad. Yeah. Say, I'll, I'll take that. The picture of Jet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably just the most expensive thing. Yeah, <laughs> all of Find this is tattered. All of this is tattered. There's nothing here that's expensive. That's the only thing. Oh, right, it's actually probably the Boba Fett that's made out of nuts and bolts from LA. Uh, yeah. From LA, that was from uh, Venice Beach. That was so. Okay. Yeah, so that's probably the most expensive mm-hmm. thing. It's um, nice. It's good circular storytelling where we started on Star Wars and we've ended. Well, on yeah, you see. A nice narrative. The circle is complete. Yeah. Like that, see. Oh, Ricky Gervais then. <laughs> anyway, we've got a little bit of housekeeping to do. You do. Uh, so just sit tight, uh, kids. 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 <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Well, oh, come on, I've got to find out. Come Hang on. Because on. <laughs> on, on the way down, last, cause, well, the last show we listened to, you said we got... <laughs> 
housework to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the Hoover coming so on. We were, we were joking. <laughs> yeah. I, I said, uh, I was like, oh, I just got a bit of housework to do. Was that about that? Yeah. Just a bit of dust. Yeah. <laughs> Christ, oh, you're great at that polishing. <laughs> you love it. Anyway, we've got a bit of house keeping, keeping to do. <laughs> I'm going to make that mistake again. Uh, if there are still tickets available, because uh, well, as we uh, record this, there are a few, um, to the uh, WTAF This Country live at the Sundar Theatre. Um, just go onto their website. You can get the tickets there if there are any left by the if. time this goes on. I doubt whether there will be. We might even have a second night on. Who knows? <gasps> Probably not. Um, <laughs> let's not push it. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> people are looking out now. Yeah, come and yeah. follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, WTAF This Country. Uh, email us, WTAF This Country at hotmail.com. Done very well. And check out all our other podcasts on pancast.co.uk. Well done, Neil. There you go, that's it. So that's it. Episode that's it. 23, was it? Something In the like bag. That. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tom. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Pavo. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Na- you very much, Neil. Thank you very much, Pavo. It's like the bloody walls. Night down, boy. Yeah, so that's your lot. Look at that. It's an hour. This, I think this is our second longest it episode. It will be. That's what you get with us. We <laughs> can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Thank you very much, everyone, and go and get plumbed, you fuckers. Scarecrow Festival is like the most important day of the year. <laughs> Daft cow. This is just ridiculous. What the actual fuck? Hi, I'm Pav. I'm Neil. We're here to tell you about our new exciting project, the Top 10 of Anything podcast. Phenomenal. That's right, Neil. We grab a guest or two, pick a subject, then bring our own Top 10s to the pod. Yes. It could be Top 10 scary movies, Top 10 swear words, Top 10 breakfast foods, anything. Oh, you saucy devil. Indeed, Neil. Our first episode will be online very soon, so subscribe on all your usual podcast platforms so you don't miss it. Yes. The Top 10 of Anything podcast. Let's begin the countdown. Phenomenal. Phenomenal.